Hey, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about why your urge to nibble on baby feet is totally normal, why there are no animals with three legs, and the different types of psychotherapy and why they work even when you feel like they don't. Let's satisfy some curiosity. So it turns out it's normal to have the urge to nibble on baby feet. And the science behind that urge is pretty interesting. Now, I'm not around a lot of babies, so I haven't had this happen to me. Is this a thing with you, Ashley? That's totally a thing. It's a thing with babies and baby animals. And yeah, you just want to gobble them up. <laughs> you, you don't feel that? You're just like an unfeeling husk of a human? That's what I am. An unfeeling husk. But if you're listening and you have, you know, emotions, maybe you've seen a baby that was so cute you just wanted to cutely, for lack of a better expression, eat it up. Or as Ashley said, gobble it up. We probably don't have to tell you that this is not a sign that you're a cannibal. It's just an example of a thing called dimorphous expression. That's the way that intense positive emotions can come out in ways that would otherwise be considered negative. And experts have some theories about its evolutionary benefits. A 2015 study published in Psychological Science explored this phenomenon. Participants looked at pictures of babies that had been altered to look extra cute. Then they rated how much they agreed with statements like, When I look at this baby, I feel like I'm overwhelmed by strong, positive feelings. Not so surprisingly, the researchers found that the cuter the baby, the more participants felt overwhelming emotion and a desire to care for it. But they also found expressions of aggression. So why is this? Well, a later part of the same experiment gave some clues. The researchers tested the participants before, directly after, and five minutes after seeing cute babies. The people who had expressed the most aggression in the moment had the greatest declines in positive feelings five minutes later. So that might sound like a bad thing, but experts suggest it's a way to balance this out so the expression of one emotion regulates another emotion. So one might expect to see negative emotions expressed when positive emotions run too high. The researchers point out that the same thing happens when people smile during intensely sad movie scenes. It helps them recover from the sad emotion more quickly. And think about this. If your offspring was so cute that you were overwhelmed with adoration all the time, you'd hardly get anything done. Dimorphous expression helps level you out and, as a result, makes you a better caretaker. So go ahead, nibble those tiny toes. It just means your emotions are working properly. Why are there no animals with three legs? I mean, tripods have three legs, and they keep heavy cameras standing up pretty sturdily. So why can't animals do the same thing? Well, one study suggests the answer to why there aren't any animals with three legs could be at the core of animal evolution. A researcher named Tracy Thompson recently published an essay on nature's lack of three-legged animals in the journal Bioessays. Thompson is a graduate student in the Earth and Planetary Sciences Department at UC Davis, and he's been pondering the non-existence of tripeds. There's a lot to think about, too. I mean, meerkats use a tripod stance with their tail and rear feet, woodpeckers use tail feathers to brace themselves against tree trunks, and many tree-dwelling animals use their tails for additional gripping, although they may be moving with all four of their limbs as well. Three-limbed movement is less common, although in insects with six legs, there is a mode of movement where their legs move in sets of threes. This is called the alternating tripod gait. Given that three-limbed movement does seem to work for some animals, Thompson wonders why there are no animals with three legs. 
He believes that the code for having two sides to everything seems to have been embedded in our DNA very early in the evolution of life. Maybe even before appendages like legs, fins, or flippers even evolved. And this could be important to understanding the process of evolution. With our built-in bias toward two-handedness, it can be hard to figure out how a truly three-legged animal would work. Although that hasn't stopped science fiction writers from imagining them. Perhaps trilateral life has evolved on Enceladus or around Alpha Centauri or on Mars. And those life forms have as hard of a time thinking about two-limbed locomotion as we do thinking about three. If you've ever considered psychotherapy, you might have wondered which actual type of psychotherapy you should get. So in today's podcast, we thought we'd help you understand the different kinds of psychotherapy. And it comes with some good news, too. As in, a meta-analysis published in the Psychological Bulletin suggests that therapy works no matter what kind of therapy it is, even when you feel like it doesn't work. In fact, while it's usual as you grow older to get more self-confident, more controlled, and more emotionally stable, the research suggests that just four weeks of therapy can significantly fast-track this process, especially when it comes to traits like neuroticism. And like I said, the study spans multiple types of psychotherapy, so let's dive into the different styles. The current reigning champ of psychotherapy, you could say, is cognitive behavioral therapy. That focuses on both thoughts and behaviors. Your therapist could help you process difficult thoughts and emotions and encourage more healthy ones instead with the goal of altering your behavior. Or they might encourage you to alter your behavior first, like attending a crowded event if you suffer from social anxiety with the aim to change the harmful thought processes. Another type of therapy is psychodynamic therapy. That's less popular these days, but its roots go all the way back to Freud. Here, you're encouraged to explore the relationship between your conscious and unconscious mind, especially early childhood experiences and underlying reasons for repeating patterns. It's regarded as being slower than cognitive behavioral therapy, and here in the U.S., not covered by many insurance companies. But both cognitive behavioral therapy and psychodynamic therapy are recommended for patients with generalized anxiety disorders and depression. But a third therapy is person-centered therapy. It's less structured than the other two, with more emphasis on the relationship between you and your therapist. You're encouraged to work through your thoughts at your own pace with only a little guidance. An advantage of this is that it de-emphasizes the authority aspect of the therapist. It's recommended for people who are undiagnosed but suffer from low self-esteem, body image issues, and relationship problems. Ashley and I are not experts, so we're not going to recommend a particular one, but explore, try some different ones, see what works for you. Yeah, always remember that you're empowered to take control of your mental health. So feel free to interview lots of therapists and try to figure out the one that fits you best. And I know we've talked about mental health on the podcast before, but if you think of it like physical health, then like it's good to go to the gym, right? To be more physically healthy. You don't have to break your leg to be in bad physical health. The same is with mental health. You don't have to have some particular condition or, or some diagnosable disorder to have problems with your mental health. Going to a therapist in some cases can be like going to the gym. General upkeep. Absolutely. And now let's recap what we learned today. Today we learned that the urge to nibble on baby feet is totally normal because dimorphous expression helps you balance out your positive and negative emotions. And that the genetic code for having an even number of legs may have been embedded in our DNA early on in the evolution of life, maybe before some of our appendages had even evolved. 
and that a whole lot of different types of therapies all work to improve mental health. So we can all just choose the one that we're most comfortable with. And in the interest of destigmatizing mental health care, I have definitely been to therapists in the past. I'm definitely attending therapy weekly right now. Yeah. It's just a thing you do. Mental health upkeep. It's super important. So don't feel bad if you feel like making an appointment. Don't feel bad. Feel great. You're taking control of your health. That's true. Today's stories were written by Ashley Hamer, Andy Fell from UC Davis, and Ruben Westmus. Stories were edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity.com. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. This podcast was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.